Today kicks off an exciting week. You already heard a little bit about it. Tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I know tomorrow's Martin Luther King Day. Um, and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we'll be back to normal schedule. But every day this week, Monday through Thursday, at 7 a.m., at noon, and at 7 p.m., the sanctuary is going to be open and available for those that just want to come and be in God's presence and pray. As you fast and you're asking God and you're wanting to set aside additional prayer time, because that's what fasting is, it's not a diet, it's setting aside my desires some of my basic needs and saying, God, you're more important. I'm going to spend that time in prayer and I'm going to lift up my requests to you. It's a, uh, fasting is a uh, physical expression of a spiritual reality that God's more important, that I'm more reliant on him than my next meal, uh, than my, my next whatever you're fasting. So as you're fasting, I just want to invite you to come pray. There's going to be a playlist on, there's going to be prayer leaders in each of those prayer hours guiding, giving some, some guidance to that time. Hey, we're going to pray over each other now. We're going to pray over these needs. Hey, find your own place. And uh, I just want to invite you to be here for it. It's going to be encouraging to you. If you can find an hour, if you can make an hour in your schedule, I know you're going to be blessed. Then on Friday and Saturday, we're having revival services right here at 7 p.m. We got guest speakers. We have uh, thrown the, the playbook and the routine and the schedule out the window so that we can just meet with God. Hear his voice, receive a touch from him, and experience his glory. So be here Friday and Saturday night. I know the Ravens may play on Saturday uh, this week, but I want to invite you uh, to, to be here in the house because God's got something special for you. There's going to be some inclement weather, uh, possibly this week, definitely over the next two months at some point. Just want to encourage you, keep your eyes on our website and our social media. If you uh, are someone that doesn't receive our text alerts or our e-blast from Trinity, you can swing by the hello spot today and just sign up for those communications. We are always going to try to make decisions about the campus a day ahead of time, to the best of our ability, a day ahead of time. So we don't follow Baltimore County Public School schools or city school. We don't follow every decision they make with our campus being open. So I want to encourage you, keep your eyes um, on our communications so that you can know what's going on. Well, last Sunday we talked about Joel, Hosea, Amos, and Jonah. We talked about their message to Israel during a time of prosperity. We, we looked at what happened in Israel, that there was a prosperity that led to passivity towards God that led to spiritual paralysis, a disconnect where when even they wanted to reconnect with God, they were unable, they were paralyzed spiritually. And how there were some relevant applications from the setting of Israel and Judah 800 years before Jesus to our situation in the United States 2,000 years after the resurrection of Christ. We talked about... Uh, the specific instructions God gave through Joel for the people to re-engage him. And um, specifically, he called them to return. He called, uh, he called them to fast, weep, and mourn. And he called them to have a re-engaged passion for those that did not know him, those on the porch. And they stood between the porch and the altar, and they cried out for God for restoration. And we talked about how God's calling us to those things. Uh, if you missed last Sunday, I just gave you the synopsis, but jump on YouTube, catch up, check it out. Today, as we start Seek Week, I want to talk to you about your faith. I want to talk to you about having great faith. Faith that makes Jesus do a double take. Faith that makes God say, wow, whoa, 
for him to be astonished and amazed, shocked and stunned by what's inside your heart. This actually happened a few times in scripture, and we're going to look at that specifically today. But before we get there, I just want to say way to go. Uh, some of you made a decision in 2024 to be in the presence of God, to be in corporate worship, and you're here two weeks in. You know, two days ago, January 12th, was National Quitters Day. It's, it's the day where most people give up on their New Year's resolutions. That's when your gym empties out again. But guess what? You passed National Quitters Day. It's week two, and you're in the room. You're online. Way to go. We're proud of you. Keep leaning in. God has an experience of his glory in store for you in 2024, unlike anything you've known previously. I believe that with my whole heart, and I'm excited for what's to come. I, uh, I wanted to um, just encourage you as well, before we jump into this text, that fasting might be a new spiritual practice and spiritual discipline. And if it is for you, there are resources on the website. We've put them on social media as well, different types of fasting. Um, it's different than all the workout and diet apps you can download today that use intermittent fasting as a physical change tool for your life. Fasting unlocks spiritual power in your life that is crucial. It upends the apple cart of living for ourselves and gratifying our own sensuality, the cravings of our senses, and it lifts our spiritual antenna up higher and higher and higher. I know your smartphones don't have antennas anymore. Some of you had those Nokia brick phones that had that little antenna. But, but fasting just alerts your spirit to what God is speaking to you. It, uh, I believe it brings nearness. That spiritual practice brings nearness to God. And when you speak to him, I believe as you fast humbly and you submit your request before God, they reach his ears, they reach the throne, and they are pleasing to him. If you are uh, in the room, this is this is maybe a, a basic fundamental spiritual truth that you need to understand for your own discipleship. That your desires do not determine your life, your disciplines do. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. You can have all the right motivation and all the right passion towards God, but you express in faithful action the disciplines that bring about the move and the touch of God. Fasting is one of them. This will be a great start for you if you haven't fasted before. If you fast regularly, I want to encourage you, jump into this special corporate time of fasting. We're starting today, um, and in this time is going to be a time of faith building. In Scripture, we see faith described as dynamic. There are changing characteristics of faith. Uh, for example, in Scripture, you may have weak faith or strong faith. You might have dead faith. Uh, you might have, you know, the Bible says faith without works is dead. You might have intellectual faith. Sometimes people call this demonic faith. They say even the de demons recognize and acknowledge the existence of God, and they shudder at his name, but they don't have saving faith. They have intellectual faith. There is vain faith. This is when you, you might say, Jesus is Lord of my life, but, but really, he's not the Lord of your heart. You're just doing religion without relationship. Uh, Matthew talks to us about those that will stand before the Lord someday, and they will say, Lord, Lord, and he will respond with the most heartbreaking phrase in Scripture, depart from me, I never knew you. 
I never truly knew you. It's a vain, superficial faith. Then we see in scripture, there is little faith, there is great faith, and there is unwavering faith. So we see all these different characteristics these of dynamic faith that, that change. And if you're like me, you want to be someone with great faith, moving stronger in your faith all of the time. A few times in scripture, God just marvels. He is shocked by people's faith. In Mark 6, he is ready to minister in his hometown, and almost no one has faith to receive. And he is stunned by their lack of faith. Then we see in Matthew 8 and Matthew 15, Jesus encounters people, people that aren't even Jewish people, people that are uncovenanted people, pagan foreigners that come to him with a dynamic, strong faith, relying on his touch in their life, and he is stunned and amazed by their great faith. We're going to look at those situations today. Um, I, I just need to ask you today, as we go into this message, as you begin to, to scribble some things down on a journal, would Jesus be shocked by your faith today? And if he is shocked by your faith, in what way is he shocked? Is he shocked by your lack of faith? Or is he marveling at your great faith? You know, um, obstacles come to us. Obstacles come to our faith. And when those obstacles can distract us from God or disconnect us from God in our practices, in our heart, that shows us the limit of our faith. Obstacles let us know where our faith is, how great our faith is. There's an obstacle in your life right now. I know that 100%. That obstacle is an invitation from God, an opportunity to rely on him and trust him more. I don't just mean uh, the trials and struggles we go through, even the temptations that come to your heart, temptations of your flesh. Those are invitations and opportunities to trust God and walk in his promises. Um, Every level of faith has obstacles. And I don't say level of faith meaning levels one through 99 and you keep leveling up through a video game. That's not the type of degrees of faith, how we define faith in scripture. If there are levels of faith, it's more like level purple and level rectangle and level, it's not one, two, three, four, five, six. There's all kinds of different uh, promises of God that we need to flip the switch of faith on, stand in and believe on so that we can have great faith. Each obstacle that you'll face in your life is gonna challenge different promises in God's word, whether or not you're standing on them or you're not. And so as we want great faith, we want to be found trusting God, not just for the easy things to believe, but the things that are difficult for us to accept and rely on. Often we find ourselves asking in prayer beneath God's power because we are afraid of disappointment. I want to live in such a way where I'm afraid of disappointing God with my weak prayers rather than giving God weak prayers because I don't want to be disappointed. Do not ask of God things that you can do on your own. Sometimes we limit God. We limit God to the size of what we can do on our own because we don't want to be disappointed in our lives. We don't want to pray and live by faith. 
We'd rather live in our own power. So I'm praying that today God would stir us, build us, and elevate our faith to walk out great faith like these two folks. Let's look at it in Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. A centurion is a Roman soldier that's in charge of a hundred other soldiers. He said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? We're going to come back to this question. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes, that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Some of your translations may say he was astonished or he marveled. And he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. What a compelling story. Let's look at Matthew 15 as well. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew from the region of Judea and entered Tyre and Sidon. These are uh, two towns in southern Lebanon near Beirut that are still there today. You can look up Tyre and you can look up Sidon on your uh, geolocations right now and see people posting uh, videos of them kayaking by the great lighthouse right there and enjoying uh, the climate over there. And uh, when he went there, a Canaanite woman from this vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. This is, a, this is a difficult response that might make you flinch or cringe. Um, I unpacked the context of this statement that Jesus is about to make in a, a message back in 2022 in the summer when we were talking about the chosen and we went beyond the chosen. And that message is linked today if you're watching online. It's called Your Kingdom Crumb. And this is what Jesus says to her. He did not answer a word, So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. The the NLT says they were bothered by her begging. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. These are two people with great faith. Two people that that made Jesus stop and do a double take and look around and say, you see this right here? This person believes with certainty, with assurance in the authority of, of God. This morning, it's a good reminder for us that faith does not just grow over time. Just being in God's house, while that helps and you're in the right place, uh, just your presence does not mean your faith will grow. Um, Faith does not just grow because you were saved 40 years ago. Unfortunately, there are many people that prove this principle. 
40 years saved and haven't grown, not paying attention to God, not learning lessons when they go through things, just complaining their way through it and saying, well, I hope I never go through that again on the other side of the trial. And then when they head back into that same trial, they realize, okay, I didn't learn anything. Faith grows or is diminished based on our response to the revelation of God. God reveals himself and whatever we do in response to God's revelation determines whether our faith grows in strength and greatness or if it gets weaker and littler. Time is a great evaluator. Time is helpful. If you're dating someone and you have a great first date, it's not time to get married. It's time to be patient and see if there is integrity and godly character consistently demonstrated over time. What happens when something doesn't go that person's way? What happens when they go through a bad season? Um, it's, it's a great evaluator, but it doesn't guarantee growth. It doesn't guarantee growth. And, and this is something we're thankful for because faith can grow very quick, quickly. If you're in growth track right now, one of the 16 people that are in growth track right now, praise God, growth track is like fast track. It really gives you things to stand on. It helps you connect in your discipleship journey quickly with the Lord. We walk through our beliefs and plug you into serving. Growth track is so helpful. But uh, I'm so thankful that faith can grow quickly because the enemy is always ready to attack new believers. He's ready to attack God's work in its infancy. He wants to come and steal it, attack it while it's young and vulnerable. And I'm thankful that God can make something very strong very quickly. You can be saved one day and walking through persecution faithfully the next day. Let me give you an example. Uh, Chloe Glassborough, one of the pastors of Catch the Fire in London, tells this story of when she found herself on a plane that was crashing. That was going down. She was in a remote location and flying on a smaller aircraft. And um, while they're up in the up in the air at maximum altitude, one of the engines goes down, and they quickly start to descend. People are panicking. The pilot comes on and says, "Prepare yourself, brace yourself for a crash landing. We are not going to make it." So immediately, as a believer, she starts doing what God's people do. You know, God has a people, and those people behave accordingly. They live by faith. She starts to pray out loud, and she starts to pray in tongues. And now, while you would expect everyone to be screaming on this aircraft, everybody gets real quiet. They want to listen for anything that's happening. They're listening if the captain has any other announcements, and they're just listening to her pray. She's praying, she's praying, she's praying, and she prays that plane all the way back to the uh, departure destination, and it lands safely on the runway. There is an uh, amazing story. It's not over. There is a German lady sitting next to her, and uh, she's, she's immediately overpowered by the miracle that's just happened. The, the flight crew can't believe they made it back to the runway. And she just begins to ask her questions, and Chloe Glassboro leads her to Christ right there in their, their aisle on the aircraft. And then the flight attendant comes up and says, your prayers saved this plane. Your prayers saved this plane. So they, they depart the aircraft, and the next day they return to get on the same plane. Because that plane, that plane uh, was the only one they had in this remote location they had uh, mechanics, work on it, fix the issue. They say, okay, 
issue's gone, it's ready to go. So they get back on the aircraft, they depart, they ascend, and what do you know, the same thing happens. The engine fails, and this time the German lady speaks up and says, don't be afraid, I know what to do. And she starts praying and leads the aircraft in prayer, and it made it back safely to the runway. Isn't that amazing? Faith can grow quickly, especially when it's modeled for us with a great example. I love that story. I love that story. And it speaks to how faith grows in us. Faith grows in our response to the revelation of God, or it diminishes when we see God work and we doubt it. We give God our unbelief. We explain it away. We rationalize it away. We're hesitant in trusting God and relying on him. Faith can diminish when revelation happens. Um, and some of us think faith is just revelation. It's not my response to revelation. It's just based on God's revelation. If God would do more miracles for me, if he would show me more of his goodness, then I would believe more. Faith is all about the revelation of God. But actually, God has revealed his truth, his presence, and his glory, and faith is about our response to it. That's what determines the greatness of our faith. Not all that God's done for you, not all the amazing gifts God's given you, but your response to the goodness of God that has already been revealed and continues to be revealed. Church, this is where we need to be excited because when we come into God's house and we realize there is revelation all around us and we're worshiping next to miracles, we lift our voice a little louder. Some of you have testimonies. You were supposed to be something. You were supposed to be depressed and broke and addicted and living out generational curses and passing on generational curses. But instead, you're standing in this house and you're singing to God and you're filled and you're free and you're overflowing with worship. There are people in this room that you're worshiping, worshiping next to that are walking, talking miracles. I, I look at Kingsley Munyandi standing right back here, sitting right back here, who was, who you're supposed to be dead and you're here singing to God today and glorifying him. If you don't know Kingsley's testimony, he's shared it uh, back in October. He shared it here with his chest open for 90 minutes and the doctor saying he wouldn't make it and his wife, Mercy, praying through and believing that God was not done with him yet and he's not. Praise the Lord. We stand in the midst of the glory of God. We have a history with God in this house. We don't come in here day one. We have a history with God in this room. And we give him a hundred years of joy and thousands of years of, uh, of response to his goodness. There's just things that happen with the revelation of God that you can't unsee and you can't unhear and you can't unknow. The enemy can tempt us to forget but you can't deny that you were a witness to the revelation of God. The question is, what will your response be? What will your response be? So when the doctor gives you that bad report, you don't have to accept that report. You can receive the condition, but you don't accept that report without prayer. You can receive the analysis of what's going on, but reject the fate of the disease to reject the behavior of, and the victimology of a diseased person because you know I will be healed one day. We all will be in faith. And that day might be tomorrow. 
That day might be today. I know it's going to happen later. And so I'm going to live like a, a conqueror no matter what I am walking through. While I suffer, I'm not going to think like and act like and behave like a diseased person. I'm going to worship like a healed person while I pray and while I wait. See, William McDowell says it this way. I love this quote. Great faith looks into the future and determines that God can do anything in the present. Great faith looks prophetically through God's scripture at our final destination, at our final consummation in perfection and the glory of God, in perfect joy, in perfect peace, and is able to determine that God can do anything right now in my life, that God can, that anything is possible, and I'm going to believe for it. Our present circumstances do not dictate what we ask for in prayer. We pray based on the immutable character and nature of God, that he is unchanging in his power and his goodness. And we pray informed by the future. I'm gonna just pause here. The enemy of your future attacks you in the present. The enemy of your calling, the enemy of the promises that God has given you for tomorrow is gonna attack those promises today in your life. He's the enemy of your eternity He's the enemy of 10 years from now. He's the enemy of your grandkids. He's the enemy of your relationships that you haven't even seen yet. He's the enemy of your future career. He's the enemy of all God has spoken to your heart and promised you. He's gonna attack your future in your present. So you have to fight the enemy with the future promises of God. You have to fight the enemy with revelation. You have to fight the enemy with Thessalonians. You have to fight the enemy with the promises of God about your future place in his kingdom forever and ever. You have to get a vision of worshiping Jesus in glory around his throne, where you're headed for, your destination, and fight battles in the present based on your future. Where were we? My, my present circumstances. My present circumstances do not dictate what I ask for in prayer. Little faith is failure to believe simple and easy truths. Little faith calls the miraculous a coincidence. They say that healing was psychotherapy, mind over matter. They willed themselves. They healed themselves through willpower. God was not the divine initiator. It was you. It was just some fluke occurrence. You're the exception to the rule. Little faith struggles with a man named Jesus existed. I am a sinner. God is love. Jesus gives eternal life to anyone who believes him for it. Little faith struggles with the basics of the promises of God. Great faith is persuaded and convinced by things that are difficult to believe. He will never leave you or forsake you. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. He has given me everything I need for life and godliness. God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Great faith accepts these promises and walks them out. So when that situation happens, When those test results come in, when that devastating tragedy shows up on your front door, you're tested. The limits of your faith are tested by those obstacles. Will you say that God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory, or will you immediately go into fear and worry and doubt? Am I walking out 
great faith, standing on the promises of God, or am I revealing that I don't really trust him to supply my own needs so I might do things that I shouldn't do to be my own provider? There's a couple observations about great faith in the scriptures we just read. I'm gonna give you three of them today. I'm gonna ask that God would build us up. He would stir us up today. He would elevate our faith. God, wherever we're at, if we've got little faith, weak faith, lack of faith, vain faith, intellectual faith, wherever we're at, God, Lord, help us have authentic, saving, great faith that's ready to call things that are not as though they were, fully persuaded, fully assured, and certain of God's movement as he advances his kingdom in us and through us. Great faith kneels. Great faith kneels. It is sure of the glory of God. It's not sure of its own glory. It's not proud. It's humble. It is overwhelmed by the the power and authority of God, and it comes humbly. I am not worthy to meet with you, God. I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. The request I'm about to give you, I don't deserve. You don't owe me any favors, God. I'm not here to flex my rights before you, God. I'm here to come humbly and kneel. This is what we see in the scripture, right? The woman, the Syrophoenician Canaanite woman, she did not come with a proud sense of entitlement. She did not come casually. She came desperately, fully reliant. She came persistently. Jesus, tell her to stop. Her faith offended the faithful. Who is your faith offending? Your dependence and reliance and persistence on God. Who is it annoying? She comes, and she doesn't come uh, proud, but she comes humbly. The centurion, he came convinced of his lack of merit. In Luke, we read about how good of a man this centurion was. It, It tells us that he was respectful and humble and good to the Jews. He built a synagogue for the Jews. He was high in worldly standing, but he said to Jesus, I am so undeserving. Even so, you don't owe me any favors. See, especially in the Syrophoenician story, Jesus has just left the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are so offended by Jesus. They, they have misunderstood their Jewish covenant priority and privilege. They confuse their privilege with rights and authority. That God, you owe me a Messiah. Not only do you owe me a Messiah, God, you owe me the Messiah that I want. This carpenter from Nazareth, send him back. We want a better one. We want a different one. You see, they were constantly judging Jesus. See the the different attitude? Jesus, come to my house so I can evaluate you and judge you. Rather than the, the centurion saying, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to set foot under my roof. My requests of you, I humbly, humbly submit them. Pride says, come here, God, and I'll decide. I'll judge. Humility gives requests that reach God's heart and give God's pleasure. Pride demands of God. And we pride, prayers that are given in pride are demands that just bounce off the gates of heaven because they're submitted out of alignment with the glory of God. 
They're not overwhelmed by, by the power of God and the majesty of God. They don't come humbly and they do not reach the throne of the Lord. Humility um, of the Canaanite woman pleading for her daughter's deliverance like only a mother could marks us. We remember her for her humility. Her, um, her name isn't listed here in scripture, but in uh, Jewish history, she is recorded by Clement as being named Justa, Justa, the Syrophoenician woman. And, um, and I like that because it makes me think that God has, God has just a little bit of his amazing grace for me. He has just a little bit more waiting for me if I press in and ask persistently, Justa. Great faith knows its place. Sure that God has a place for me in his goodness. At the feet of Jesus, just with the Lord. I don't desire to hijack or disrupt God's kingdom work for me. I just believe that I'm a part of it. I believe that he has included me. I, I would like God to continue his kingdom program through my situation. Have mercy on me. Help me, God. I'm being persistent because I believe that you want to show up in and through me. That, that working in my life isn't a derailment of your goodness. I'm included in your goodness. That, you're, uh, that I am underneath your wing. That the shadow of the Most High has a little spot for me to get in there. I am believing that, fully convinced. Great faith knows. Great faith knows where it belongs. It knows its place. And, and I love that Jesus clarified for this woman that she was not the priority of his earthly ministry. And this is maybe where we struggle a little bit, but in context, we can understand that Jesus is, is responding to her to challenge her faith, to see the degree and level of her faith, where her faith truly was. There is enough of God's power to satisfy injustice, to reverse the curse to redeem the universe and restore eternity and to bless us today. To do all of those things and to show me his goodness. And Jesus recognized that the father's will for his specific role in his brief earthly life was to be a presentation of messiahship to Israel. To lead them into spiritual restoration first he said it in John 4 to the Samaritan woman's salvation is from the Jews. It had to be first offered to them, but we know what he said to that woman at the well. He said to her, a time is coming where true worship is going to transcend these categories, that all will be in included. I'm coming first to the Jews, but not only to the Jews, that this gospel, it, it goes beyond coming first to them, but leaving no one out. It's a progression of salvation history that he wanted this woman to understand. However, she saw that there was a place for her in God's redemptive work. You might be in the room today and this is a struggle for you. The situation you were born into was broken. You maybe did not know your earthly parents. You maybe uh, knew from before you could even speak uh, a life of welfare. Maybe you were born into a situation where you don't have the documentation that everybody else has, where you were born into an immigration situation that had struggles of its own unique to you. 
You might have a frustration with um, your skin color, your ethnicity, what you were born into. You're saying, God, there is blessings and privileges that you could have given me from the starting line that I might work my whole life and never experience that some people take for granted. That might be a, a chip on your shoulder and a wound in your heart. You don't like the cards that were dealt you. But I wanna encourage you with this today. This is an obstacle to great faith. An obstacle to great faith. In this situation specifically with the Canaanite woman, that could have been her response to Jesus. She could have argued with Jesus about her rights. She could have argued with Jesus uh, about whether or not she deserves a seat at the table and a place, a special place and a special title, but she didn't. She didn't. She could have argued with Jesus about God's plan. Well, I think that redemption history should have gone a different route and this son shouldn't have been the chosen son and this people shouldn't have been the chosen people. She could have argued about God's plan, argued her rights, argued for a seat at the table, but instead she just asserted her belief that there was room for her in God's goodness. She asserts that Jesus has room for her. Just like Ruth, there is a corner of Boaz's field where she could find leftovers. Like the widow of Zarephath, there are a few drops of oil left in that jar and there are gonna continue to be drops of oil left in that jar. Just like the prodigal son, maybe, maybe my father that I abandoned and rebelled against and essentially robbed, maybe he has room for me as a servant. I don't need a special seat at the table. I don't need the robe, slippers, and ring. I don't need it all. Maybe there's room for me in his house, in his presence, in his goodness for one more servant. She just needed grace. I just want to, I'll sit at your feet, Jesus. I don't need a special seat. Just let me serve you and worship you. Let me know your goodness. You gotta believe today that God is intentionally inclusive of you. You might not be like this woman, a foreign pagan opponent with no claim on the covenant. It's likely that this woman worshiped Apollo and Heracles, just like the other Syrophoenicians of her day. It's likely that she did things actively against God. But we know earlier in the book of Mark that people from Tyre and Sidon had gone to Jesus's ministry and been healed. So she was aware of his power and she heard something that led her to rely on him and choose him and surrender and submit to him that aligned her for a miracle, that opened heaven and allowed her to experience God's goodness. You see, when you live with a chip on your shoulder, what you've done is you've taken a chip out of your faith. There's some promise of God that you are not standing on, that you've switched off, that you carry into every interaction, a chip on your shoulder that you carry into every relationship. Maybe it's a trauma that you experienced, a transgression that's been done to you or you've done. Maybe it's a, a, um, uh, an assault or an abuse, a betrayal, some disenfranchisement and, and a way that you were victimized. I don't wanna minimize your experience or your pain. I would never do that. In God's family, we bear each other's burdens. We grieve with one another. We don't uh, diminish or minimize what our neighbor goes through. But I wanna encourage you in your own heart, 
God has given you promises. He has carved out a place in his goodness for you to stand on his word. And you can say things like, even though I've gone through this, um, I am more than a conqueror. God has good plans for me. He has called me an overcomer. He is the lover of my soul. I have equal spiritual rights. I can flip any page of my Bible and know that the goodness of God is no further away from me, that I am included. And he, just like we declared today, I am chosen, loved. I am called I am wanted. You can know that. Whatever you've gone through, whatever you've walked through, don't let it take a piece out of your faith to put on your shoulder. If you have core wounds, you need core healings. That's why Jesus took on the wounds that he has today in his hands and in his feet so that you could experience core healings for your core wounds, that you won't just transmit the wounds that have happened to you but you'll be transformed by the healing work of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, great faith calls on God's authority. Sure that his promises win every war. I love that the centurion just, oh man, he respects the authority of Christ so much. He says, Jesus, no, no, you don't need to do all that. Just say the word. I understand, I speak a word and I accomplish something that I don't even walk into because my servants go and accomplish it for me. It's my authority and they're walking it out. Jesus, you have authority over everything in this universe. It must obey your command. I don't need anything special. Can you imagine if you came to Trinity for prayer today and in uh, the prayer team saw you coming and they said, oh, you're good. No, you're fine. Go sit down, it's done. You would feel so slighted. You didn't get a special visitation or a special oil or a special prayer. And and, and this is a good reminder for us. You don't need a celebrity to pray over you. You don't need some special moment. You just need to walk out what Jesus told us to do in the Bible, to go before the elders, those that are praying righteous, effective prayers because they, they have been affirmed as they've been walking in God with God for a long time in the same direction. You just need to agree with people in prayer. I'm not saying our elders aren't celebrities. I'm just saying you don't need all the glamour and you don't need to mail in $20 so somebody can send you some prayer memorabilia. You just need the presence of God. You just need to agree in faith. And and it's not about the special elder. It's about the special Holy Spirit. And, And it doesn't have to be Vision Sunday or Kingdom Builders Sunday or this Sunday or that Sunday for God to show up and bring revival in Trinity and move among us because every Sunday is a special Sunday because we have a special Savior. We don't need to do this and that. We just need to come with faith and agree together and receive from God. Leaning on the authority of Christ. And that's what the centurion does. He says, uh, he says, when Jesus says, shall I come and heal him? I don't know if the centurion understood that if Jesus went into his Gentile home that he would become ceremonial unclean, ceremonially unclean. I don't know if the centurion understood all that because what he says to Jesus is he says, no, Jesus, I am not hikanos, the Greek word. I am not worthy. I am not worthy of your authority to even meet with me, to even come under my roof. You see, if a foot soldier disobeyed the centurion, it was exactly just as if he defied the emperor. 
Really, he was actually defying the might and majesty of Rome if he disobeyed the centurion. And the consequences would be just as severe. When he saw Jesus, he understood. He understood that Jesus was operating only on the Father's will in the Spirit's power. He was vested with the Father's authority. To defy the Son was to defy all of heaven. To disobey the words of Jesus would be to disobey and stand against the word of God. His word was effective because it was God's word. So when the enemy comes with an attack in our lives, we quote the word. His promises are my weapons, and we submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus. Uh, If we walk with an American attitude to Christ and exert our rights and, and, and flex our muscles and our privileges at, at him and, and we demand things of God, rather than leaning on the authority of Christ, we're gonna miss out on so much that God wants to do in and through us. We have to come just like the centurion came, leaning and calling on God's authority. I... I'm sure that you've seen the diminishment and the deterioration of respect for the rule of law in our country. Um, It's sad. There's not a lot of respect for law enforcement, for law application. Just this week, you may have seen a man jumping over a judge's table and attacking a judge in Nevada. And um, and, and these are cultural issues, sure. But don't those cultural issues creep into our souls? Don't we stand before Jesus sometimes and negotiate, try to make deals with him, have an attitude when things aren't going the way we want as if we deserve something more? It's easy to walk and live simmering in that disappointment, in that frustration with the Lord rather than acknowledging his glory, knowing our place and calling on his authority, calling on him to flex his muscles in our lives. As I close today, I just wanna share a thought with you. We're going into Seek Week. We're about to fill out some prayer cards today. We're about to fast, about to be real hungry. When you lean on the authority of God, saying, Jesus, it's all you. I can't do it on my own. I'm gonna rely on you. I'm not gonna try to solve all my problems. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray like I haven't prayed before. Pray, I'm gonna look to you. I'm gonna lean on you. When we begin to lean on the authority of Christ, it's important to not limit God to the size of what we can do on our own, but to pray big prayers. In the Old Testament, God tells Abram, who thought God's promise to him was just a piece of land and a son. That's all he thought God's promise was. God says, Abram, go outside. Goes outside, says, pick up your head and look at the stars. Look at the stars. And then he reveals to Abram his covenant that he is gonna make a people for him Descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky. And in the observable universe, there's thousands of stars. Thousands of years later, 
Science has, has revealed to us, we've discovered galaxy after galaxy after galaxy and the existence of systems beyond what we can see with our observable eye to the point where it's believed that the amount of stars out there is a billion trillion stars. And not only that, but science tells us that 270 million stars are born every single day. So when Abraham, Abram at this point, looks up to the sky and God is calling him to believe beyond what he thinks, beyond any limits he's placed on the Lord, there were even limits to what he could understand. And, and we just looked at this verse that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask, think, or imagine. That's what's happening with Abram in that moment. I call to you today is to pray a prayer, to write down a prayer on that prayer card. It's so bold and so outside your power, so outside your ability that it pleases and honors a God that can birth 270 million new stars a day. It pleases a God who has all authority just waiting for someone to come and kneel, just waiting for someone to come and be persistent, just waiting for someone to come humbly and make it not about them, but make it all about Jesus. Just believing that there is a peace under the umbrella of the goodness of God for them. God's waiting for that. I wanna encourage you today to just be stirred towards great faith, to be stirred towards strong, unyielding, unwavering faith, reliant on him. Would you stand with me today? I believe the Lord's in this place and he wants to speak to you as we worship. I wanna encourage you um, at the tables and the aisles and in the back of the room, there are these prayer cards. This is a great time to get out of your seat. You don't just have to sing right now. I'd like you to grab a pen. Say, God, what do you wanna do in my life? God, what's something that breaks your heart? Lord, what's something that, that you, would, you would lead me to cry out to you for? Centurion had a paralyzed servant. Canaanite woman, she had a, a possessed daughter. Both were suffering terribly. There might be some terrible suffering in or around your life that God's waiting to hear from you on. There may be those that will suffer terribly in the future because they're, they're living totally disconnected and far from God. God's asking you to cry out for those on the porch. Let's pray and let's get ready to see God move this week as we fast and pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for hearing us when we pray. I thank you for inviting us, God, to not be like the Pharisees were in, in Mark 15, Jesus, but to be like that Canaanite woman, God, just believing there's a place for me. There is a place for me. And, and Lord, we believe that today, that your eyes are on us, you're focused in on us, that we are the apple of your eye, Jesus. We believe that you have the hairs on our head numbered and you are ready to respond to our faith. Stir our faith, God. Let it be great faith. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our doubt. And Lord, let us pray some crazy bold prayers today that please you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship.